This is the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast, episode 173. I am Joel Hollingsworth. I'm here with Will Shelton. Will, pretty good weekend. You think? It was it was a pretty good weekend. It's uh, uh, on on multiple levels. Uh, friends of mine who are not even Tennessee fans were like, "Hey, hey, good job this weekend." So <laughs> that was a always appreciate that patronizing pats on pats on the back. Yeah. Yeah, and we're all uh, Virginia Tech beat Virginia by a bunch, so everybody where I live is happy too. Uh, no, no one's fired their coach yet here or there, so uh, we're we're uh, pressing on. Also good, yeah. So the uh, the football team basically they did what they were supposed to do against a hapless uh, Vanderbilt squad. They beat them by twenty five points, forty two to seventeen. Uh, they more than covered the fifteen point spread, um, and. You know, the basketball team is now 2-0. and They beat Cincinnati 65-56. to That's good news. Um, you know, a football win against Vanderbilt is not going to do much to relieve pressure on Jeremy Pruitt, I don't think. Um, the offense was still 2 of 10 on third down, still had two turnovers, uh, almost 100 yards of penalties. On the other hand, they did put up 540 yards of offense, 328 through the air. They held Vandy to only 239 total yards. Um, they played both Harrison Bailey and J.T. Shrout, so that question is uh, still front and center. Uh, but each of those guys threw two touchdowns, mo- mostly looked good. Um, so, you know, I guess better than the alternative, right? So what are your thoughts on, on the football game before we get to hoops? If you're Pruitt and these guys, uh, now you got Texas A&M, you know, nationally relevant game. You can knock these guys out of the out of the playoff. Uh, Anything picture. can happen, right? Um, Tennessee obviously can write a long. Tennessee's a two touchdown underdog, so you know, not 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 the Bama lines that we're used to, but something that would would be one of the five biggest upsets for Tennessee in in the last. Uh, 35 years but uh so what do you do if you're Pruitt do you um uh I, I get the sense that like Bailey would be the one that starts based on number of snaps in the game um do you play both of them do you do you play them like 80 20 I, well I guess the most direct way to say it is how much JT Shrout would you like to see against Texas A&M or do you just want to see Bailey that's a hard question. I, I, first yeah. thing I want to do is, is figure out whether or not we can get somebody to throw a shoe uh, at the end of the game <laughs> just to give us a little bit of an edge. Um, how poetic was that just to have Florida lose their chance at a playoff to uh, a, a, you know, unsportsmanlike penalty? Got to like yeah. that. I'll, I'll get to mistake. the answer to the question in just a second, but I had to, I had to throw that in. No, that's fine. I'll give you a second to think about it some more by saying I, I went to bed. And um, one of our kids woke up at like three in the morning and I made the mistake of just looking at my phone. I thought, I'll just look at it and just see the score. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw that they won. So I thought Alex is upstairs with, with whichever kid. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to see what happens. And that took a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, what's the, what's the elevator pitch on what happened in that game? Like I, it, like that's that's some wild uh, some wild stuff. So uh, it's funny on the, um, uh, the free plug for the twenty four seven network. It, you know, if you I've got a, a thing with them where if you buy the subscription to Tennessee's 
you can also get the other board. So I read the Florida board today. <laughs> I mean, there's just a lot of, is it time to move on from Dan Mullen? And I'm like, would you please? <laughs> yeah. It'd be great. Yeah. It'd be great. Yeah. And plenty of people on there too that are like, we're so much better than we were from Muschamp and, and McIlwain. You know, this was a bad loss, but whatever. So, uh, so yeah, it's always on the message boards. It's always time to move on from somebody. Yeah, uh, free plug for YouTube TV, too, by the way, which has this awesome feature, which is you can, if you miss a game like that and you've already hit record for every football game that's ever played, um, you can just watch the key plays. So you can get a flavor of the whole game in like 15 minutes, which is pretty cool. Anyway, uh, yeah, Pitts was out, you know, uh, Florida had trouble on, on offense. LSU played over their heads um, and, uh, you know, Florida blew it at the end with uh, giving that guy uh, an extra 15 yards and a field goal. Anyway, so back to uh, Bailey and Trout. The question I think is right now, and and tell me if you don't agree with this, um, Bailey is safe. Um, He's effective. He's efficient. He's um, accurate. He cannot throw uh, the deep ball yet, all right? Um, so that's his main downside. Um, Shrout can throw the deep ball. Uh, will yes. also throw an interception about every other touchdown. Um, so what what do you want to wait on is, is, I think, the main question. And for me, I would rather wait for Bailey to learn how to hit on the deep throws because I think that'll come. And while you're waiting, you're not doing – uh, catastrophic things with game-killing mistakes like interceptions. We've been there and done that, right? So, you know, we gave uh, we gave the last guy a really long time to try to prevent those things from happening, and we thought with it, you know, he proved in the past that he could. So you can be waiting a long time on that. Uh, I think I would rather wait on Bailey to figure out how to throw over the top. Um, because that's just a lost opportunity. That's not a game-killing mistake. So I would go. I would go with Bailey. And you know, I, I guess I don't really have. I've sort of gotten used to the idea. Don't really have a problem anymore with him putting Shroud in every once in a while. I don't like him putting Shroud in right after Bailey makes a mistake, uh, which wasn't even his mistake. I mean, he, he got hit, and it was a, sort of a batted ball that, that ended up being that interception. Actually, was that an interception? There was what it was, was a it? fumble. It was fumble. They yeah. kept a fumble after they reviewed yeah. it. Yeah. So you know, I didn't. I didn't like that. But you know, I, I've learned it's it's not my call, and uh, whether I get <laughs> mad or not doesn't matter. So I, I try not to get mad anymore. So what are your thoughts? Who would you who would you play mostly? I'd play Bailey. It's interesting that you point out about pulling him after one mistake. Like that's that's the opposite of what he did with Garantano. Yeah. when it would have been really helpful to do that with Garantano. I'm sure he left him in, uh, one, because he felt like the other guys weren't ready, or, or and two, um, trying to protect uh, the, the confidence, maybe. I'm just guessing of, of your quarterback. But Garantano, as we've written, was the – doesn't turn it over a lot, but when he turns it over once, here comes another one uh, situation. So, um, yeah, that surprised me a little bit, too, because at that point he was 7 of 7, Harrison Bailey, I think, right? He had not thrown an incompletion yet. Um, I would like to see more of him just because in my brain, the premise is if JT Shrout, again, weeks and weeks of what are we doing on this podcast? 
But if J, I, I still have to believe if they thought JT Shroud was a possible long-term answer, he would have played more by now. As mismanaged as this has been, um, I think they weren't playing Bailey because they didn't get spring practice and he's a true freshman, whereas they weren't playing Shroud because they just didn't think he was an answer. You know, Brian Maurer played before he did last year. So uh, he's got a cannon, um, but he's going he's gonna to throw off his back foot, uh, you know, bad decisions, that sort of stuff. It's Bailey, we haven't had um, – Maybe Justin Worley is a comparison early, early Worley, not to, not to, to you know, uh, where, because if, if you take Justin Worley out of the equation in terms of guys you thought could be a long-term answer, you really got to go back to Casey Clawson in terms of we're recognizing up front that this guy does not appear to have an NFL arm, like power-wise. He's not throwing 110 miles an hour. But uh, he throws, you know, people have called it a softball. He throws a catchable ball. He makes good decisions, uh, which was obviously a, a, a need for this offense. Um, and I think he's poised. I think he's, he's going to get you in the right stuff, get it to the right guy. And, and things that he struggles with, like holding, holding on to the ball too long, I expect true freshmen to hold on to the ball too long when they're true freshmen, right? You gotta, you can't replicate that kind of speed unless you're gonna hit your quarterback in practice. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm fine with saying, you know, let's let's just see Bailey, especially against another live fire defense uh, here Saturday. Those guys, uh, Casey Clawson in particular, that did really well at Tennessee without the NFL arm did well because of what they had around them. Dante Stallworth, Kelly Washington, Travis Stevens, Jason Witten, all, all that stuff. Um, and Worley at his best, uh, Marquez North uh, against South Carolina, Pig Howard, had had guys, Rajon Neal, that, that made plays for him, uh, I thought. And so you never felt like that Justin Worley was like winning a game for you, but um, – uh, no, I mean, he, he threw some bad interceptions against Florida in 2014 in that 10-9 to 9 game. On, and he threw those interceptions on first down, which was really frustrating. Um, but, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to burden Harrison Bailey with too much Justin Worley after we've seen him twice. So, anyway, just we – normally the problem we've been trying to figure out is more talented guys naturally who have some other issues – Garantano, obviously, lots of word count on him. Two years of Josh Dobbs where they didn't really let him throw it deep, you know, and then trying to figure out, do they trust him to throw it deep or can we just kind of dink and dunk and win these games 17 to 9 and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, living and dying with Tyler Bray, five touchdowns, two interceptions uh, every Saturday. Uh, Jonathan Crompton, you know, those are the problems we're used to having. So it's, it's just um, – that's my long-term question with Harrison Bailey is I think that that can be effective if the pieces around him can be really good. Uh, so I, you got it at running back. Um, let's see some more at wide receiver. Uh, let's see some more from Valus Jones, who all of a sudden is very involved. Jalen Hyatt, true freshman. Let's see some more from him. Um, so I, I'm curious and I'm curious beyond just uh, Saturday. So yeah, I would, I would, um, 
I just have to fall back on the assumption that if it was going to be Shroud, we would have seen that more uh, up to this point. Yeah, I wonder if we might have uh, underestimated the the loss of the receivers from last year, Callaway and Jennings. And, um, you know, I mean, there were a couple of times, I, I can count maybe three or four uh, plays this year where we should have had um, some deep catches, probably in the end zone as well, that hit. They were tough, you know, not, not that they were super easy catches, just outright drops. Um, but they hit them in the hands and they, you know, didn't um, didn't high point them, didn't go after them aggressively, didn't snatch them out of the air, um, didn't beat the defender. So I wonder if we may have uh, we may be missing those guys more than we know. Um, and, I think and- Josh Palmer too. He made more than his share of those plays last year and uh, against Georgia, certainly in the first half. And I feel like he's just kind of come back to level yeah. um, on those plays. Yeah. And I don't think – do you think that uh, Bailey's problem with the deep ball is, is arm strength? I think it's just uh, timing and accuracy right now, just getting a feel for it. He hasn't thrown a bunch of them in live fire. Yes. I, th- I think that his um, – I think his the ceiling on his arm is going to be lower, but that worries me more about, you know, trying to squeeze it in a tight window and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think the deep ball stuff is just timing. And, and also – uh, you know, Tennessee's receivers, Josh Palmer is not as fast as Jalen Hyatt. So, you know, you just got to stuff you need practice for. Yeah. Um, you know, still, it feels like they hit a thousand big plays against Vanderbilt, but, you know, still just to go back and look at the struggle they've had all year, that that's Valus Jones where he caught it and then broke tackles and, and got, I think, what was that? 70 yards for the touchdown. Um, that was still only Tennessee's second play of any run or pass of 40 plus yards this year. That's tied for 121st in the country with Northwestern who is having a great year, but Northwestern's offense, you expect them to do that. Um, Temple and Utah and only um, Colorado state, Miami and UMass who is winless have had less. And all of those teams have played at least two fewer games than Tennessee. So, you know, I feel like um, we just got to be careful. We'll see against Texas A&M. That, that Vanderbilt, I mean, that's that was like a 5A high school team playing a 2A team uh, as far as Vanderbilt was down. So we'll see. Let's see what happens against Texas A&M. I'm assuming we're going to play a bowl at this point in time, The kind of the way things have gone with LSU opting out and spots being available. So um, I, I think we're going to play somebody. So we'll probably get another another shot at it. Which is which is really weird because we're gonna play A and M on the nineteenth, and then like take ten days off and play a bowl game. <laughs> yeah. So it's different than what you're used to. Um, but uh, you know, let's let's see let's see some more if they can generate whether it's Bailey or Shrout can generate some bigger plays uh, down the field. It's really odd, also, to be playing a game and then and then you got to catch the uh, SEC championship right. same day. Yeah. You know, I kind of, yeah. I kind of like it, um, probably because it's not us that we, at least we get to see us play. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd rather, you know, especially when it's Alabama playing Florida, I would rather, you know, not focus on here's our two biggest rivals having a great year. 
though again the, the gators did what they did bama i mean what can we say about those guys other than you know we joked at the start of this well it's a 10 game sec schedule maybe bama will just go undefeated again and they did and they won every game by at least two possessions uh the closest anybody came was kiffin uh so that's uh that's those those guys are good espn by the way has tennessee in the music city bowl against uh, pj fleck in minnesota uh the other uh the other guy has them in the Liberty Bowl against TCU. I mean, that's not surprising, right? In in COVID times, Tennessee probably going to play in Nashville or Memphis. Need the, um, need but you get, I mean, I'd like to see us play Minnesota. I'd yep. like to see us play. T, you know, I'm I don't. I've seen us play Vanderbilt. <laughs> I've seen us play Bama. I'm going to see us play number five A and M. Like, let's get. Uh, let's see us play Auburn uh, again. Uh, though that's not a. Maybe that was a. That was a. a strike against Gus Malzahn that we almost beat them. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that'll be meaning. I think if, if they're playing a Minnesota esque team, uh, a TCU esque team, we might learn something that we're not going to learn maybe against Texas A&M. Are we in agreement that we just want Florida to get, to get embarrassed next week? I mean, in a normal year, the answer would be no, because you still want Florida to make the New Year's six, and that frees up other bowls. But bowls are so – again, I, I don't see how – you're going to send Tennessee to Nashville or Memphis because fans could actually show up there. So, yeah, I mean, Bama, uh, I, I think the more we can fire up the is it time to move on from Dan Mullen on the message board, then uh, <laughs> yeah. I, think that's, I think that's terrific. Yeah. So, yeah, let's do that. And those guys – uh, a good test of Dan Mullen's recruiting will be next year because those guys lose a lot. Um, they're not quite at the Georgia level yet to me where you just no. expect that the new guys coming in are going to be just as good and, and not Trask. He's, he's super special, not Pitts, but everywhere else, like they lose a lot. Um, so we'll see. I'm sure, you know, as long as they play that game in its usual spot in week three, I'm sure we can talk ourselves into all kinds of things uh, between now and then. We have lots of practice. Uh, when it's in September, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we do. All right, so uh, basketball. Let's, let's talk basketball. Um, actually, getting it in 25 minutes into the podcast, that's pretty good, better than, that is good. than last week. So uh, we're 2-0, and looking pretty good. Uh, still not shooting well. Uh, still, you know, I mean, it's been two games. Uh, 32% against the Bearcats uh, from the field. But they made up for it in a lot of different ways. Terrific defense. They were 25 of 30 at the free throw line. So not only are they hitting them when they get there, they're getting there a lot. Um, and they had a 45-34 rebounding edge. Turnovers were a little bit better. Uh, that's an improvement. So uh, still looking, they're, they're looking pretty good. Um, how, how are you feeling about the team right now? Um, I am trying not to be too optimistic and lean into it too far because what I really want to say is um, their defense is so good right now and, and good in ways that they can replicate. Uh, I mean, the fresh, well, Keon Johnson mostly like is really good defensively. He's like really twitchy, which is, which yes. is a compliment. And he does it without fouling, yeah. um, which is really hard that he's playing defense now the way I hoped he would play defense in March. So um, if that stuff hangs around, which defense is more reliable, they get good looks uh, offensively. 
I know that some people don't like the they some people think they shoot too many foul line jumpers. We talked about that after the Colorado game that hey, if you're gonna take that shot all the time, that shot's still only worth two. We should go to the rim where it might be easier to score and get two, or we should shoot more threes and that sort of thing. But Barnes, I mean, they did that with Grant Williams and those guys and and were one of the best offenses in the country for a long stretch of that year. So I, I trust them to get that figured out. So I'm just of the assumption that those shots are going to fall. You're going to play a four-game stretch now where um, you're going to have a chance to build some confidence. Uh, and then you're going to go to Konzo, who just beat number six Illinois last night. I did stay up long enough to watch that. Um, I missed so, that. Was it a good game, or did they uh, beat them pretty badly? Or It was a Konzo game. They were ahead with seven – they were ahead like seven points with four minutes to go. And then I think in the last four minutes, like Missouri scored – two points and Illinois scored five points and it was just defense. Um, So, but they won, I mean, that's what he does. And they're, so they're undefeated and that was a big, it was a helpful win for the SEC too. So yeah, we play them twice, but we got to go out there first to open SEC play on the 30th. So that's, I mean, that's 17 days from now. So build some confidence offensively against app state, St. Joe's, uh, Tennessee tech and USC upstate. And then, then we'll see. But I mean, their their defense right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna write about this in Ken Palm right now. This is the best defense in school history. School history in Ken Palm going back to the, the late '90s. The best defense in 20 years. Um, better than three years ago in 18 when they were really strong defensively. Better than Conzo's last team. Better than Bruce Pearl's Elite Eight team, which was his best defensive team. This is the best defense Tennessee has had in the Ken Palmieri era right right now. And let's see, it's two games, but they were, they were meaningful opponents. Uh, but I mean, they're, they're fifth nationally in defensive efficiency. They're sixth nationally in forcing turnovers and they're fourth nationally in fewest fouls given up. So, I mean, they're doing all of this without fouling um, and, and doing it with hyper aggressive, you know, uh, Vescovi not prone to not fouling freshmen not prone to not fouling ponds is flying around everywhere but it's working they're they're really doing it so uh, i mean they are um you know you're, you're gonna you're gonna need to be uh i was trying to look here and and see um you know missouri's gonna run fairly efficient offense um but and and let's see um certainly with florida i haven't heard anything today on on um, the florida kid that went down yesterday in a scary situation but florida's run is good stuff lsu will run good offense um so you know let's we'll see we'll see them against better offenses than what they've seen so far but um in weird covid times defense is your best friend if you can count on that every night and and man um right right now this is as good as it's ever been defensively at tennessee yeah, they're they're uh, they're doing a really good job at that. Um, something super serious here. Uh, I'm wondering who you think has the most improved hair, because uh, <laughs> Josiah Jordan James, his hair is just cool. There was a there was a shot during that first game. It just looks awesome, you know. We, um, Fulkerson though, he started in sort of a worse position um, after last year's <laughs> fiasco, right? So. Him cutting his hair short again was was a big improvement. Now Viscovi, okay, so he he wins an award for like most questions. <laughs> like, what what is up 
what you know what was he thinking now he's got that black eye to go with that blonde hair and uh yeah so anyway do you have any strong opinions on the haircuts this year i tell he when he when he had the when he was bleeding there in the colorado game uh he looked like a number of of uh a text thread i was on with my brother-in-law it's like what you know he looks like eminem he looks like whatever and then he got busted <laughs> open and i was like now he looks like rick flair now uh, or cody cody rhodes for, for our wrestling aficionados <laughs> Yes. That listen to this. We have a bunch. Uh, he, he did look like that. Vescovi uh, is the best for. <laughs> he wins every award for who will the other team hate the most, uh, and it's such a shame we have these mostly empty arenas. Because man, I would hate that dude if I was a fan. If if he wasn't on my team, um, just the way he plays and the flair and the hair and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so. There's a Viscovi's got a lot going on over there. I like Pons, just like that dude just stands out on yeah. the floor, um, and and uh, is is such a freak athlete. And so, uh, just the way he that whole you know comes flying through on blocking shots and all that stuff. He's he's become kind of the defensive Chris Lofton. Where Chris Lofton, when he was here, you know, any time he got the ball across half court, I'd be like. Ah, he might could make it from there, you know, and with Pons, no matter where he is on the floor, when a shot goes up, I find myself kind of looking for him yeah. to see, like, can he swoop in and get a piece of this thing or at least affect it, yeah. uh, which oftentimes the answer is yes. Yep. So, um, but Keon Johnson had a tremendous, that chase down block uh, at a crucial time yeah, in the following Cincinnati the game. Turnover, I, mean, just, I think. Again, that dude has played two games. Yeah. So a lot of times when you think about five-star freshmen, you're like, well, he needs to come in here and score 25 a night. Like, no, no, little things like that. Like, you can't you, – you don't teach that. Uh, so you teach him how to do it without fouling, which he's done. But, I mean, he's – that that dude, uh, that was impressive and important uh, stuff. So, yeah, lots of uh, – as is the case with this team, lots lots of good options to choose from there. Yeah, it's weird. It seems like I wonder if they teach this because he did this, and then you know Pons has been doing it for a long time. Um, the a lot of the blocks seem to come like at the last minute and from behind, right? So it seems like most players they'll want to go right up, you know, stride for stride with the with the guy shooting the ball, and they'll they'll stick their hands up at the same time and they'll be in the same place. But a lot of times, you know, Pons will. The other guy will go up, and Ponce is just so fast and can jump so high um, that he'll he'll come in sort of after he's let it go, you know, and uh, at better angle, more room, more space. I don't know what it is, but it works. And that's kind of what uh, uh, Johnson did, I think, on the one you're talking about as well. Yeah, the other thing, too, is Tennessee offensively doesn't uh, – they're third in the country – in having their own shots blocked again, two games, but they, they just played a team with a ton of size and got those guys in foul trouble all day. Yeah. Only, only 1.2% of Tennessee shot attempts have been blocked. Hmm. So, I mean, again, they, they get good looks. Um, they just need to need to knock down a few more and, you know, you, you start having a lot more fun watching these games. What was up with that foul from that? Uh, how do you pronounce the guy's name? Vote, Vot something that last foul that he had on Fulkerson is like, he went out of his way to, to bull into that guy. Yeah. He, I've, those guys, 
again, it's COVID time, so maybe we all get an F minus in this, but like they had the F minus bad body language, him and uh, even Auskas too. Like when they picked up the first foul and they looked so dejected about it, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Like these guys, they got several more fouls in them, and they did. Uh, so uh, I always like it when someone uh, has – when someone who's not LeBron James has the LeBron James reaction to a foul being called against him. Um, but I will say on the other end, like Fulkerson, Fulkerson is finally getting some respect from the refs because Fulkerson is drawing fouls that previously in years of watching him were lanky white dude gets knocked around underneath and nobody calls the foul. And now they call that foul every time. Yeah. So good for him for, for getting, uh, even when he's not playing, statistically like super amazing here in the first two games uh he's he's drawing fouls uh all over the place john fulkerson all of us at kenpomeroy.com john fulkerson is 84th nationally in fouls drawn per 40 minutes uh drawing 6.8 fouls per 40 minutes so um pretty good good for him for uh for earning the respect yep so we got uh, Appalachian State coming up on uh, Tuesday, seven o'clock on the SEC Network. You know anything about App State yet? I haven't started looking at them yet. They're the one ninety Ken Palm. I don't know anything about them uh, specifically. They are um, one eighty five now uh, in in Pomeroy. Um, would be undefeated without a um, overtime loss to Bowling Green. But two of the teams they beat are not um, Division One teams. Shout out to my Methodist friends at North Carolina Wesleyan, who took an 81-57 loss to Appalachian State. Um, but, uh, you know, you'll get it, – it's kind of odd the um, – I wish they were playing it in reverse order because you get App State and then you get St. Joe's, who are top 200 teams – and then you're going to play Tech and Upstate, who are just like really bad, bad, bad teams that Tennessee should be by 20 or 30 points. So I wish that was flipped because it's kind of like taking a break after you've played two bubble teams and two kind of eh, mid-major teams. Then you're going to play the, the bottom of the barrel. So um, yeah, it looks. I'm looking at yeah. the schedule right now. It looks like Tech is on Friday, and then St. Joe's. Oh, they moved Monday. that game. That's right. That's right. That's my bad. Yeah, they moved the Tennessee Tech game. So, yeah, so good. Uh, so, Friday, if you'd like to see Tennessee go against Ken Palm number 319, uh, <laughs> the fighting fighting I-40 Golden Eagles of Tennessee Tech, uh, who are currently 0-6 uh, and, and lost. Yeah, I mean, this they lost to Indiana by 30, and they lost to Xavier by 31. I mean, that's that's who you're getting there. Um John Pelfrey is the coach at uh, Tennessee Tech. I did not know that. Uh, uh, I don't, of, what, of, why do I why do I know that now? He was Arkan. He was at Arkansas uh, for uh, 08 through. Uh, he was at Arkansas when Pearl was here. Um, so, speaking of Arkansas and Arkansas State, you also mentioned Arkansas State. Uh, so, uh, Butch Jones uh, is finally off the sideline at uh, Alabama, is going to take over for, can't remember the dude's name, at uh, Blake Anderson at uh, Arkansas yep. State. Um, so, yeah, do you have any uh, any any thoughts on that? Or just, you know, whatever or what? I think I'm going to look right now and see if he's done a, a- – 
press conference yet uh, because he's one of these guys that's um, similar to Derek Dooley where um, they uh, – oh, he said it a little bit, but it's all praise for Alabama. I don't want to read that. Um, <laughs> Thank he, you. Like, you know, Dooley – I think Dooley has spoken about being Tennessee's coach like three times since he left. And that's it. He did an interview with Clay Travis once. Um, and then I, like, he just didn't talk. And so usually these guys, when they leave and take another job, you at least get to hear them kind of in a secondary nature, talk about, you know, Oh, when I was at Tennessee Kiffin this week talked about when he was in his one year here, do you remember this when Alabama and Florida played in the SEC championship game and he was the game day picker. And he said uh, that Florida had better players, but Alabama had better coaches. Uh, and uh, he, he brought that up uh, again. So like you at least get to hear him, even if you had to hear him at USC or whatever, you got to hear him talk about it. You know, Butch Jones hasn't been in a position to be in front of a microphone in three years. And I don't expect him to talk about Tennessee a lot. I'm just, um, I'm, I'm curious to see, uh, is he, you know, is he going to go to Arkansas state and there'll be, you know, team 121 or whatever. I'm actually, I'm wearing right now, Joel, my 2014, uh, team 118. Uh, we promise no petitions. Oh, that uh, one. Yeah. Rocky Tom talk t-shirt. Um, <laughs> but, um, so I, you know, I, I'm just always interested to see how did somebody learn, grow, adapt? Um, was he, he, he made it to the last two months of the buyout for us. So he saves us a couple hundred thousand dollars, but was he just living out the buyout? Was, could he not get other jobs? Uh, Arkansas state is not a bad job. I mean, Gus Malzahn, uh, you know, was there. Um, Hugh freeze tied into, into that too. So, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's the, the nightmare scenario for Tennessee fans that want a coaching change is you go into next year and Bush Jones goes to Arkansas state and beats up, uh, Louisiana Lafayette and Coastal Carolina and all these other guys that you want to come coach your team uh, after Derek Dooley beat Butch Jones uh, when before he came and coached our team. So, um, I, you know, I I don't wish any ill will on him. Uh, and I, I don't think – I think he would have to make major changes in the way he does things to be the head coach under a microscope somewhere again. Um, but – Otherwise, he had a and, and he followed guys that were good. And in this case, he's following somebody that that essentially took a promotion. I guess um, if that's a, I guess it was a promotion to, to Blake Anderson. So, um, and and he had you know Blake Anderson is a guy that his his wife died of cancer while he was there. Yeah, I think they at had Arkansas that special State. thing at Georgia. Uh, last yeah, year. yeah. So that made it promotion may not even be so much as. I can't imagine if that happened, you may just want to be somewhere else. Uh, so I, I totally get that. So, um, but if you just go off of what he did at central Michigan and at Cincinnati and what Arkansas state historically has done in the Sunbelt, he'll probably do all right. He'll probably win, you know, eight, nine a year. Um, and, and that's fine. You know, good, good for him, uh, for going and doing that. So, um, a couple questions. Um, I think first, we, we, we talked uh, before about <clears throat> the idea that maybe Butch Jones uh, was able to coach the kinds of players that show up at Central Michigan and Cincinnati. Um, but 
didn't really know how to relate or to coach and lead the blue chippers that he, he was able to recruit at Tennessee. Um, I, I think there's probably something to that. Could be totally wrong. Don't know. Um, but I was thinking about something during the game, too, um, during the Tennessee and Vanderbilt game about Jeremy Pruitt. And it's not really a hypothesis, just sort of a curiosity right now. But I wonder if, you know, he was a defensive coordinator for national championship teams with good talent. Um, so he knows blue chip players and he knows programs that know how to win with uh, blue chip players when your team has more talent than the other team. And I wonder if part of the problem might be that he does not know how to play like an underdog. And he's an underdog um, more often than not right now. Because, I mean, he, he throttled Vanderbilt. He, he out-talented them. And, uh, you know, it showed on the scoreboard. But if you try to play that way against teams that have more talent, maybe you get manhandled. I don't know. That was just something I was thinking during the game. Do you have any thoughts on that? That's a good question. Um, I think that his first year, he did that really – coach like an underdog, he did it well. Um, they were – I mean, it didn't always work. They were hyper aggressive against Florida in his whatever third game and turned it over seven, seven times and had 10 touch or 10 drives without a touchdown or a punt. I mean, just super, still strange and weird. Um, but he got, when we were talking about one of the five biggest upsets of the last however many years for Tennessee, number three on that list is his Auburn game the first year. Yeah. Um, that's the third biggest upset uh, since 1985 for Tennessee. Auburn's weird, uh, though, and, right? Say what? Auburn is weird, though, right? They're just wildly inconsistent. That's that, and that's that's why Gus Malzahn is uh, sitting on however many million dollars and is not the coach there anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but I mean, they coached that well. They got a defensive touchdown in that game. Um, they they took it. They got fourth down stops. They were aggressive, throwing the ball down the field on third down. Um, they it, it was an underdog playbook, and and it worked then. Um, and I, you know, I, I go back and think about the Alabama game last year sometimes. And I know, you know, Tua goes out of the game, but they did that well. And they did that with Brian Maurer, a lot of it. Um, and just kind of, you know, staying in the game, hanging around, that kind of stuff, picking your spots to be aggressive in, in spite of bad officiating calls and that sort of thing. But then, um, it has, there were pieces of it there against Georgia this year in terms of going forward on fourth down and taking a shot downfield right away. But a lot of those pieces, I think, have, have fallen apart. And maybe, again, it just is as simple as they didn't trust the quarterback anymore. But I did not think they played very well as the underdog against Alabama this year. They did not seek opportunities to get additional points. They did not do that at the end of the first half against Auburn or Arkansas. Um so I think it was there early um, when I think he was more prone to really, you know, in year one, he's going to realize, Hey, we, we're at a significant talent disadvantage. We need help. But I think it's either naturally gone away over time 
or, um, you know, you, you listen to what he says. I don't think he's unlike Butch Jones when he talks in the post game. I don't, I don't think he's, I think he believes a lot of what he says. Um, I don't think he's interested in, um, in, in spinning things for the fan. He would be better at it if he was. I don't think he's interested in spinning things for the fan base or whatever. I think he, when we talk about closing the gap, I think he believes that from a talent standpoint. And we wrote about some of that. It's, it, the gap is closed on where Tennessee was three years ago. But the problem is other teams are further out there. So I think in his mind, he thinks that we're closer than we are, which man would be great if he's right. Um, but I wonder too, if that's just kind of getting squeaked because he, he came out after the Florida game. I think it was the Florida game and said, you know, 90% of the time we do the right thing. It's, like, well, it's not, it ain't 90% of the time. Like I get what you're saying about with 10% of our plays are catastrophic mistakes, but we're not doing the right thing. 90% of the time. It's a lower number than that. That's same similar to when Butch Jones, after losing to Oklahoma and Florida said, well, we're one play away. Not when you blow a two possession lead in the second half, you're, you're not one play away. You were there. Yeah. We were there. And then we gave it away. So um, that's a good question. I think, I think he, in his mind, how much of an underdog does he think we still are against Bama? Sure. Everybody is. Um, but I, you know, I wonder how big of an underdog does he think we are against Florida? He said in that post game, probably not much of a difference in that locker room and ours. Eh, it's not my favorite thing he's ever said. Big difference in the quarterback. Um, but uh, I, it's a good question. I, I don't. I'm. I am purely speculating and trying to figure these guys out like we always are. So, um, from looking around, I, I I don't think that Tennessee's going to end up making a change this year. Do, do you? No, I, I think the only, um, regardless of whatever your personal feelings are, you don't want to make a change just because Auburn did. You know, like that's a bad reason to do it. Uh, we don't play Auburn every year, so I get the frustration. I get people saying, "Well, look, you know, look at the look at the buyout they ate." Um, now they haven't been paying a bunch of other guys for yeah. however like they paid Chiswick, I'm sure, but I don't I don't remember what that was. Or paying buyouts um, for 15 years. Right. They they were not doing that. Um, Tuberville was there. They're used to more stability. Tuberville was there for a long time. Chiswick was there for a very short time, and then Malzahn was there for eight years. Eight years is a long time in the SEC. Um, so I, I get that some fan, you know, the argument of look at all these other teams that care about it more than we do. I just even if you want to make a change, it's it would be poorly done. If you want to make a change, make the change. Don't do it just because Auburn did it. Um, and I get that it's it's harder for Tennessee now because we said this last week. Next year, you're going to go against Auburn. Nope, turns out Auburn's on the board now. So the guys that you want – Right now, the guys that you want that are, that are realistically attainable, it's not going to be Pruitt. Auburn is an attractive job, I think, to all those guys, too. So uh, the simplest thing would be for them to hire Hugh Freeze, uh, and I can keep my blood pressure lower for the next 365 days. Um, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. But, no, I don't, I don't think – I think the Auburn thing put a crack in the door that was – uh, you know, 
mostly close after the Vanderbilt game. I think the Auburn thing put a crack in it. I, if Texas A&M beats us, again, this team is trying to make the playoffs. So if Texas A&M beats us by 50 points, then we're going to have, you know, probably some more conversation. Um, but I, I don't, at this point, I don't think, I think Fulmer is Fulmer, and I think they're committed to seeing what will happen with this thing next year. Um, and Auburn can only hire one coach. They can't hire all these guys. So I think you would still have options you felt better about uh, than Jeremy Pruitt and Derek Dooley and and maybe Butch Jones uh, based on what happens next year. So, no, I, that's a long way of saying probably not, right? I, th- I think that's right. Um, you mentioned uh, that – a&M is going to want to uh, put up some style points uh, next next week in order to try to get into the playoff. However, I will I will say that Florida was probably wanting some style points against LSU last night. I think that can cut both ways. Um, maybe you play tight. I don't know what was up with Pitts. You know, the, the official report, at least last time I looked, was that they were holding him out. Uh, precautionary reasons for a uh, injury that he suffered against Tennessee. I don't remember him actually going out against Tennessee. Do you? No, I don't. Um, so I don't know whether that was, you know, he got a little <clears throat> too self-important and it was, you know, trying to teach him a lesson or something or something else, you know, I don't know. Um, but anyway, I, my, my only point is I'm looking forward to Saturday. Um, just to see what what will can happen. Um, maybe they will put up fifty points. Um, but what happened with uh, Florida LSU last night uh, makes me a little more interested uh, in next weekend. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, I, I think A and M even more so because the Gators. I think they wanted to look good against Tennessee, but Florida's argument once once they beat Georgia, I think Florida knew because we've lost to Texas A&M, beat Bama, and we're in. And lose to Bama, and it's probably not going to happen for us. Whereas A&M, um, you know, that's – that's so um, if let's, – let's just say Bama's in. But what if, what if Clemson beats Notre Dame in a super tight game and Ohio State beats Northwestern by a million? Who's getting it's it, right? Efficient. Like, it's a bad like they have much more incentive, I think, than um, than than the Gators. But sometimes that cuts the other way. You know, sometimes you you kind of over push that, and you come out and you don't look good. And Tennessee, and I, honestly, I haven't watched enough Texas A&M to know the likelihood of the game plan. Tennessee tried it out there against Auburn how successful that might be against Texas A&M. If they get everybody healthy up front, if they get Brandon Kennedy and Cade Mays and everybody kind of clicking on the same page and have a quarterback that's not going to make catastrophic mistakes, hopefully. Um, Tennessee can can shorten things on you and, and make you uncomfortable um, a little bit. I will point out, just going back real quick, uh, since we said that about Pruitt, that David Oven just tweeted, the rock on campus uh, is currently painted, fire Pruitt, save UT football. But then someone has come next to it um, and uh, and puts uh, choose <clears throat> choose joy in uh, what appears to be different uh, 
different lettering. So um, I, uh, I that's uh, that's a weird. I'm gonna try to. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that's just. I, maybe I'll write about that. There's lots of ways to choose joy in this situation. Uh, so, um, or choose happiness in this situation. Joy is a function of grace. You, sh- you, you have it if you have grace. But um, anyway, that's that's the mood uh, over there right now. Okay, so, uh, I, you know, we, we always talk about how uh, we feel different on Monday than we do on Friday. Uh, we feel different uh, in March uh, than we do in August, right? So uh, I'm feeling kind of Friday right now, uh, looking at this game. I don't know what it, I've been saying it's because of what Florida did last night, but um, A&M, I've watched them several times this year, and uh, they're they're good. They're solid. They're they're an efficient football team with good talent and good coaching. But they're not scary like Alabama or even Florida or Georgia. Georgia's defense is scary, right? So, and then look at their their schedule. Okay, so they, they beat Auburn, just fired their coach. They beat LSU, who's been terrible all year except for last night. Um, <laughs> they, they beat South Carolina. They beat uh, Arkansas by 11. Uh, they beat Mississippi State. Um, got stomped by Alabama. They beat Vanderbilt 17 to 12. And then that, the weird one is they beat Florida 41, 38. That's not a super impressive resume. That's an easy schedule is what that is. Um, so I don't know. Let's, I'm going to tune in. I want to see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. And I, you know, SP plus, uh, Florida would be a touchdown favorite on Texas A&M right now in SP plus. So, you know, they're, they're more of, uh, I think when we, um, it's hard to do tiers this year, but when we're talking about, you know, Tennessee opponents and how we think of them, I said, after, after the Alabama game, all right, look, let's see, let's see what happens when Tennessee plays, um, Florida and Auburn and Texas A&M before we get all bothered by how many games we've lost in a row against top 10 teams. And then Tennessee went out and lost to Arkansas, and that that changed that whole conversation. But Tennessee, you know, I'm going to say had Auburn until not had, you know what I mean? They're they're going down to punch it in and take the lead on Auburn, and they throw a pick six. Yeah. So um, we we were where we wanted to be in that game, and also between then and now, Kyle Trask turned into the Heisman front runner. So so some things changed there. But yeah, A and M is is an in between. I know they're ranked fifth. But I think when, to your point and those kinds of things, I think for for our perspective, um, this is trying to beat a team that's better than Auburn, but not as I would not think of them in terms of I, the way I think of our top three rivals. Now, if we beat them, I'll take the top five win, and we'll write about you know Tennessee hasn't beaten a top five team since two thousand four and all that good stuff, or two thousand five rally in Death Valley. But um, uh, I think that. Yeah, I want to see it too. And I think regardless of how you feel about Jeremy Pruitt right now, um, Harrison Bailey has played well enough. And the likelihood of a change at this point is still so low, no matter what Auburn's doing, that I think, yeah, like, let's see it. Let's see 
what happens. And again, I think there's a version of this where we come out of it and say, okay, well, you know, like, yeah, I want to see Tennessee in the music city bowl or the Liberty bowl. I just, I, I need, we need more data. Um, and nobody knows what any of this data is worth in a coronavirus year anyway, but, um, you know, you can build, you can build some momentum here going forward. And, and that's the thing. Again, we talked about this last week, the deal for these guys next year can't be to just win enough games and not get fired. The question Tennessee's trying to answer is who is the, who can lead this program forward for the next five years. Um, and it might be Jeremy Pruitt. There's not, you know, um, he's not going to answer that question in the affirmative this year, but that doesn't also mean that firing him is, is, you know, or wanting to fire him and we don't means he's never going to answer that question in the affirmative either. Let's see, let's see what Bailey can do. Let's see him again against another kind of good team. So uh, there's, there's lots of outcomes, I think for Tennessee, not for Jeremy Pruitt, but for Tennessee, there's lots of outcomes, I think on the table uh, on Saturday, but one of them would be, you know, can they be a little feisty in this game? Um, maybe so. On that note, that's going to shut down this episode of the Game Day on Rocket Top podcast. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. Um, do leave us a rating and a review, if you would, please. Will, uh, uh, I have not gotten a text from Heather Harrington. Uh, so you must not have given her my phone number. <laughs> I did not. Uh, but I, uh, I, I appreciated her. Uh, she, she used the, uh, Heather is my age and, and, uh, has kids of similar age. So I appreciate her using the, the, uh, the bad boys reference and like the, I need the, the woo I need to calm down and all that. I appreciate late nineties <clears throat> movie references in my, uh, Tennessee fans need some, some peace and calm right now. Yeah. I didn't even catch that reference. I don't, I don't know what that means, uh, at all. Uh, but, I, but I did enjoy her, uh, her, her saying that she needed more of me in her life, which is going to be on our playlist in the family. Whenever I get static from my family now, so, you know, <laughs> make liberal use of that. But anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in, uh, for Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and this has been the game day on Rocky top podcast. There's a lot of news sports world at the moment. The uh, Cleveland Indians are not going to be the Cleveland Indians anymore, and Butch Jones has hired uh, Major Applewhite to be his offensive coordinator. Where's, where's he coming from? He used to be at uh, Texas, Oklahoma, and then someplace down south. Is he coming? He's from coming USA? from sitting right next to Butch Jones in Alabama. Oh. This is a there's man. These guys are so good. It's super annoying that Alabama is like got a whole coaching staff that weren't they weren't even on the field coaches at Bama. It's like, hey, you want to get the band together and go to another school and just be? I'll be the head coach and you be the OC and then.